very interesting lesson here tonight that I think is going to be a blessing to all of us in our walk with God and our understanding of the scriptures. <clears throat> and uh, I want you to look at this outline with us. Our lesson is entitled, The Word of God Made Plain. Our scripture text is 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm going to put this on the overhead here for us this time. And we'll focus in a little bit here. Get a little closer. And then get it focused. Focus. That's what I want right there. I take that off. Okay. All right. Everybody with us? I've got a very interesting Bible lesson here with you tonight that the Lord has been speaking to my heart about for some time. And I want to share it with you here tonight to help us to understand the Word of God and that we are never confused about God's Word to mankind. And uh, I want you to look with me in 2 Timothy 2.15. This is the scripture that we're going to use as a sort of a springboard. And uh, this is a scripture that I want to refer to here. This was... Uh, Paul's last epistle that he wrote, and he wrote it to Timothy, which was a young man converted under him, and he was giving Timothy some last instructions before he knew that he would not probably ever see him again. So this is what it is, just one very simple verse, Second Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, the next phrase is what I'm going to be emphasizing tonight, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, that's an interesting statement because what Paul is telling Timothy is to make sure that you understand the word of God properly. Make sure that you understand what it really means, the depth of it, and the beautiful thing about the Word of God is that God does not just give us one scripture to declare something, but the Bible says even in 2 Corinthians 13:1, the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. This was a very important fact with God, and we find that in the Word of God, the Lord always backed his important statements salvation and everything else that would go with it he always backed it with more than just one scripture he always had multiple scriptures behind it so i'm going to talk to you about it here a little bit because uh i'm going to go to number one here and i'm going to, this is the subject that we're going to deal with here tonight the doctrine of individual predestination the doctrine of individual predestination and it was introduced by John Calvin in 1536. Now, let me tell you who John Calvin is before I get into the scriptures on this. And uh, I got a little chart here I'll share with you. Uh, John Calvin was one of the Reformation 
leaders, the, uh, when the Catholic Church dominated the world throughout the Middle Ages, starting around 325 A.D., right on down until 1517, uh, the Catholic Church pretty well dominated everything. They would not allow the Bible to be printed in anything, in, in any language. It was in Latin. Nobody understood Latin because Latin had become somewhat of a dead language. That is, nobody spoke it. spoke Italian and Spanish and, and French and, and Portugal and, and languages that sprang off of Latin. But nobody was speaking Latin itself. But the Bible stayed in the Latin language, and the only people that knew Latin was the priests of the Catholic Church of Rome. And they understood. The Greeks, however, said, no, no, we're going to do our own thing. So they have formed what was called the Greek Orthodox Church. They broke, broke apart around 900 A.D. and uh, went their own way. They said, we're not going to be under the Pope of Rome. We're going to be under 12 apostles. So they, had, they have 12 leaders and every one time one dies, another one takes his place. They're like cardinals, only there are 12 of them. And they oversee the Greek, or it isn't really Greek, it's just the Orthodox Church. In the Greeks, in the Greek, in Greece, it's the Greek Orthodox Church. In Russia, it's the Russian Orthodox Church. Or if it's in, uh, and it's all through Eastern Europe, all through Eastern Europe. And it's pretty well another form of Catholicism. It is a Catholicism of, of a type. But what I'm pointing out to you here is that the Reformation happened in the Western side, in Western Europe. And so uh, let me give you this little chart here. The church had fallen away, and this is a chart here. I'm just going to refer to it very briefly here, and I'm not going to go into detail. This is a church the way it was that the Lord established in Acts, and then they began to lose certain things they began to believe in. They fell away. They began to worship. Uh, I, I got a whole list of things here. They lost repentance. They lost baptism. Started doing sprinkling. They started worshiping Mary, the Virgin Mary. Uh, they started got into saint worship. Uh, everything, all kind of stuff, until it hit the, a low ebb, and then they went through the dark ages. And then, in 1517, a man by the name of Martin Luther, in which the Lutheran Church was named after. He was German. He was a priest of the Catholic Church. He went to Rome expecting to be one, one foot in heaven. And he went there and was so disappointed in the morality of the city that he came away and he said, i got to find out what's missing. And he started studying the, the Bible in Latin because he knew Latin. He was a priest. Going to read it and study it and study it. And he said, boy, are we a long ways away from where we should be. And he began to, and so he began to form then a, uh, a reformation against or not away from the Catholic Church and so forth. And so in 1517, he nailed the 95 theses on the church of Edinburgh, Germany, on the front of the door and on October 31st. It was called All Saints Day. That's Halloween today. You know that. And it was All Saints Day, and they would worship all the saints, and they'd put on masks and parade around and do things like that. It was on this day that he nailed that 95 Thesis on the door. And on that 95 Thesis, he pointed out everything that the Catholic Church was doing wrong. And he became the leader then and began, began what was called the Reformation, in which the Protestant movement began. They began to break away. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is that the next guy right behind Luther, 
that did this was John Calvin. John Calvin was the guy who started the Presbyterian Church. And Luther broke away, was a Catholic, and he started the Presbyterian Church. He was a Frenchman, very smart. He's a Frenchman, and uh, there was another guy named Zwingli that was over a Swiss group. And Zwingli was very, very militant. They started what was called the Thirty Years' War back then. And Zwingli was very militant, and he wanted to fight and fight, and he, he didn't believe you. And they said, no, no, you, you know, despite your one cheek, turn the other. And he said, yeah, I know that, but we're not going to survive if we don't fight. This was Zwingli now. And, uh, and sure enough, in battle, he was killed. So uh, Calvin left France because France was going all Catholic. And he went to Switzerland, to Geneva, Switzerland, and then picked up that church or the work there that Zwingli had and established a great, large, huge church in which the whole city belonged to this one church, and it became the heart and the foundation of the Presbyterian church. The Presbyterian movement then spread all over. Now, here's where we're going with all of this. Calvin brought some good things to light, uh, where Luther said, that I still believe in... Uh, you know, believe that uh, that that, the, that you have to take mass and all that, in the, and that they call it transubstantiation, in which the bread's turned to the body of Christ and the blood is the, the grape juice is turned to the blood of Jesus. And they always believe that the priests perform the transubstantiation process, where Luther said, "No, no, it's not that; it just happens. The Lord does that Himself." And when Calvin came along, he said, "No, no." Communion is to be received as a memorial. And that's what he established, and it was great. He also said, take all of the statues that you've got in the church out of here. Get them out of here. We, we shouldn't be worshiping saints. They had statues. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in these churches like that, but I have. I've been in a church where it was a, the, the, the intersection was about almost as big as the auditorium here. And then around the edges, out, around the edges, all, all the way around, was a little hall-like area that, in columns in between the big area and the, the, the hall area. And then against the walls in those areas were these saints all over the place, and people would worship them, and they'd worship the statues. I've gone in these churches, and I've seen them, and I've walked through them and looked them, and one time I was walking around looking at everything, and I looked around, and a woman was kneeling down in front of me, and she was praying. And I said, oh, my God. I said, that woman's praying to me. And I looked, and I was standing next. I didn't know it. I had wandered up next to the statue of the Virgin Mary. And she, the statue of Virgin Mary was there. And she had knelt down in front of that statue. And I didn't know I was in, next to the statue. And I thought, what in the world? This woman's kneeling down in front of me. And I said, i got to get out of here. This is, this is not what I'm used to. This is not what I know. I'm just pointing out to you here that these people were dealing with all this. One of the things that John Calvin came up with was this, was this doctrine that he introduced. And he said that once you're saved, you're always saved. But he went a little further. He says, I am introducing the doctrine of predestination, which was this. You are born to be saved or lost. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's in the Bible, and the Catholic Church doesn't know it, but I found it. It's in the Bible. 
that when you're saved, you've been determined from the foundation of the world that you're either going to be saved or you're going to be lost. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're either one or the other. It's called predestination. What happened with the Presbyterian church is that they said, well, if that's the case, then there's no use having missions, missionaries. Because missionaries go, are you going to preach to people? They're, they're, they're not saved. You know, if they're either going to be saved or they're not going to be saved. What are we doing? So they became very lax in the missionary work. Well, there's another group that sprang off of the Presbyterian group that was termed the Baptist group. They had developed the concept of water baptism by immersion. And they came along. And they came out of the Presbyterian group and they said, wait a minute, this idea about you're born to be saved or lost is not quite what we believe. Uh, therefore, we are going to say once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. In other words, once you're saved, you can't be lost. And uh, so I told one guy one time, he said, once saved, all oh, you're always saved. I said, that mean once you're lost, you're always lost, you know? I mean, once lost, always lost. Yeah, he was like, yeah, I won't go there. Just once saved, always saved. Only with the salvation and those that are saved. Now, so I'm dealing with two different nationalities up here, and I'm not going to go any further with this. This goes on and talks about how the Methodists brought in holiness, how the Christian church brought in uh, being baptized for the remission of sins, not just as an act of, of, of our belief, our faith in God, and then about the, the Trinity Pentecostal movement, then finally the oneness apostolic movement that followed them, and so forth. I won't go any further with that, but that's a study in itself. But I do want to just point out some things to you here. Now, I'm going back to this chart. Follow me closely here. I've got some good things to give you here. The doctrine of predestination. Now, this is what John Calvin introduced. And this is what he said. It was introduced by John Calvin in 1536, just 19 years after uh, Martin Luther had nailed the, uh, in, in Germany, had nailed that 95 Thesis on the door of Edinburgh Church there. This is what he was saying here, John Calvin was saying over in Switzerland. He believed that we as individuals are born to be saved or lost and that it is predestined by God. Now, that's a, that's a very hard belief, but that's their doctrinal beliefs. And Calvin believed that. Uh, I had a, I was, years ago when I was a young man, I was the youth president in the state of Florida. Conquers president, they call it. And I, being Conquers president of, of the Florida district, I was also over the uh, youth camp in Ocala, Florida. It still goes on even to this day. Our young people go there every summer. And uh, I remember going, and I was the overseer there. I remember being at this camp one year. And these children would come down, would have a service, a worship service in, in the night after all through the day and everything, and they'd have church, and then they'd pray, and then they'd all go to the bed and, and be ready for the next day. And I remember that this one kid would always just sit back. He'd never come down and pray. These kids were praying through and receiving the Holy Ghost. So I took him aside one day, and his name was Jimmy. I remember that. I said, Jimmy, I said, why don't you come down and pray? And Jimmy said to me, because... I can't be saved. I said, what do you mean you cannot be saved? He said, I am 
I am predestined to be lost. I said, who told you you were predestined to be lost? He said, well, I've heard that often on all my life. But he said, I've had people to tell me I was a bad boy. I was bad. And this kid was probably around 9, 10 years old. I, this, this group that I was dealing with this week, at that particular week, was 9, 10, 11-year-olds. And he said, I, I can't be saved. I'm, I'm lost. And I sat down and talked with Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, no, 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 you can be saved. You can be saved. He said, no, no. He said, I, I've been told ever since I was little that I was bad boy. I was a bad boy. And he said, therefore, I can't be saved. It's no, it's no use. I know I, would you like to be, I said. Yeah, but I know I can't be. I said, I'll tell you what. I want you to come down to the front, and I'm going to pray with you myself. And finally, he consented. He came down, and a lot of praying was going on. Kids was praying, crying, receiving the Holy Ghost. It was just, it was, it, the altar service would last for an hour after the message was preached. And I brought Jimmy down, knelt down with him, started praying with him, started praying with him. And as I was praying with him, tears came into his eyes. And other children got around him, some of them that were saved, and started praying with him. Jimmy didn't get the Holy Ghost that night, but I told him after that prayer meeting, I said, now, tomorrow, when this service and this altar call is given, I want you to come down here. I want you to come down to the front because you have felt the Lord. Did you not? He said, yes. The next night, he did that. He came down and prayed, and I can still remember Jimmy standing up, lifting his hands, talking in tongues, and walking around, and tears running down his face knowing that he was saved and i realized at that moment that the doctrine of what that 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 uh, you're predestined to be saved or lost can be very damaging to people who have a tendency to believe that they are one of those that cannot be saved now let's get into the scriptures here why does calvin believe that look at number one here calvin's scripture reference here's why he taught that and he felt like i got bible for what i believe so i want you to go with me here to ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 ephesians 4 i'm going to read 4 and 5 look at this very closely according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us unto the adoption, that is, being saved, of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And this is what Calvin was saying. We're predestined, and it is the adoption from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, Calvin was saying this is proof that we're predestined from the foundation of the world. We're predestined in the very beginning, and there's not anything you do about it if you're already predestined to be saved or lost. Now, I'm going to turn over here to Romans. This is your next verse, Romans 8, uh, 28. Romans 8, 28. Uh, 29, rather. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. 
And Calvin's statement was, didn't God foreknow all things? Yes. Whether he foreknew us? Yes. Then he predestined us. He also did predestine, for he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the, to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he pointed out some scriptures like this. Let me give you one more here. This is found in 1 Peter. He was, uh, he was saying, I've got, I, got, I got scripture here on what I'm talking about. This is 1 Peter 1, and it says here, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is in Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Now, this is 1 Peter. Now, this is verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, under obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, peace of heaven. But he emphasizes here the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God has a knowledge of all foreknowledge. Therefore, he knows whether you're going to be saved or lost. So it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to be one or the other. It's already determined. This is what uh, he spoke of. Now, the Baptist movement, when they came along, they came out of the Presbyterian movement, mainly through the Presbyterian movement. I mean, the uh, Presbyterians that were in Scotland, they came out of that group and uh, their leader adopted the same things. But he said, wait a minute. And the, the leaders of the Baptist movement said, wait a minute, that's pretty severe. And I just pointed this out to you. That's pretty severe to say that you're born to be saved by the laws. Let's lighten that a little bit. Let's make it a little bit softer. Once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So that was their story. So we're going here to the, what the Baptists pointed out. The Baptist movement adopted Calvin's in the past. They said, once saved, always saved. That is, you can't be lost once you're saved. And they believe that. You can't be lost once you're saved. And if you ever do go out there and you really get into bad things, you never were saved to start with. That's, that's, that's their statement. But they say, once you're saved, you're, you're saved and you can't be lost. And, of course, they believe you're saved by faith. Saved by faith, and therefore you're saved, and there's nothing else you can do about it. I mean, uh, not nothing else you get, but you won't ever be lost. I remember years ago, my dad went to a big crusade meeting, and one of those big crusade meetings in the city had come there, and the whole town turned out, city or whatever it was. My dad went there. He got under conviction. They preached the word and went down to the altar. And he was there just praying away. My dad had been around Pentecost when he was a kid and growing up, my mother too. And so they pretty well had the Pentecostal understanding a little bit, but not saved. He was praying, seeking the Lord, and a guy tapped him on the shoulder. And he stopped and looked at him. He said, what is your name and address? He told him. He went back to pray, and the guy said, wait a minute. He said, why are you still praying? He said, well, I'm praying because I feel conviction. I want to receive what God has for me. He says, you've already gotten it. You came down, you believed. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay, we want your name and address because we're going to put you on our card. You're going to become a member of our church now. And my dad said, I don't feel like I'm ready for that. Oh, you're ready. All you got to do is believe. Don't doubt that you're ready to be, that you're saved right now. And that guy talked to my dad, and finally my dad just gave up and got up on it, and he walked away. 
and didn't get saved or didn't pray through or didn't receive anything else. Now, that's probably happened to a lot of people. There are people, folks, that will say, I've been told that I'm saved, but I don't feel saved. I just don't feel that I am. It, uh, it just, I just, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they, they say that you have to have faith. You've got to believe that you are. You've got to believe that you're saved. And they, so individuals say, well, I can't. let me give you some scripture here uh, about, uh, about this. I'm going to go here to First uh, Timothy 2 and 1 through 4. Look at this verse of scripture here. Now, this is to do with the doctrine of, of predestination that you are born to be saved or lost. Look at this one, 2-1. I mean, 2-4, I'm talking about, 2-4. 2-1 through 4. Let me read that. I exhort for that, first of all, supplications, prayers and intercessions be given for all men, for all. For all men, for for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Everybody still with me? Verse 3, for this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Look at verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved? Now I'm talking to you here in refuting what... Calvin said way back there that you're born to be saved or lost. It says in this scripture, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. This is speaking about Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. If you've got a pen and you've got your Bible, put a ring around the word all. Verse 4, I will have all men to be saved. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. Verse 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplication, prayers, and intercession be given for things to be made for all men. No place here that anybody is being left out. Verse 2, for kings and for all. And incidentally here, folks, pray for our leaders. I exhort, therefore, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions. Pray for your president. Pray for your governor. Pray for your senators. Pray for your mayor. Pray for all of your leaders that we may have peace in our day. Praise God. Now let me move on here. Who gave himself a ransom for all. Now this is, I'm speaking here now from uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 1. I'm going here to 2 Peter. Look at this. Now, stay with me on these. These are scriptures that state that it's God's will that anybody can be saved. And it's God's will for all men to be saved if it's possible. Uh, I'm going to go to Second Peter and uh, 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Everybody see that? Underline that now. Not willing that any should perish. Little Jimmy, it's not God's will for you to be lost. You see what I was saying? That's what I tell that little boy, and I had to get it through to him because he said, 
I'm a bad boy and I'll always be bad and, and I'm one of the ones that can never be saved. He believed that. And I, had, I thought, well, I guess there are people really in this world that believe that kind of stuff. But this is what the Bible is saying against that doctrine. And, and I'm showing you here now that what, Zwing, what Calvin said and what the Bible is saying in these other scriptures are going at each other. And we'll come back to Calvin's doctrine in a few moments. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is found in 2 Peter 3. Now I'm going to move on to another verse of Scripture. And uh, this is one found in Acts 17. Acts 17. 17.26. Go to Acts 17.26. This is Paul preaching on Mars Hill in, in Athens, Greece, when he went there and preached to these people that did not know the Lord at all. Verse 22 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens. And I won't tell you all that he said before that. He preached unto them. They had a statue that said, To the unknown God. He said, I'm going to preach to you who the unknown God is, and it's Jesus Christ. So he was preaching to them. Look at verse 26. And hath made, just speaking about God, and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, speaking about God here, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Man is not made to live on the moon or on Mars or Venus. Let me just throw that in for what it's worth. Man may go to the moon and come back, and he has gone to the moon and come back, and he may still do it. But man is not made to live on the moon. We're made to live on this earth. We are bound by our habitations. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. This is all. Look at verse 26 again. And hath made of one blood all nations of men. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord. It's God's will that all men seek him. That's the will of God. If happily they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Look down in verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. This is men living in sin as they did in the Greece in those days. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man, Jesus, that's speaking of, whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him, Jesus, from the dead. And he's preaching on Mars Hill to these that Jesus Christ was their hope and that this was unto all men. They couldn't say, oh, well, we Greeks, that doesn't apply to us. No, no, that's for everybody. So he was letting them know as, as well as that. I'm uh, going to have go to go to Matthew 11. I told you I'd give you scripture here to support all these things. Look at Matthew 11. I like this verse. It's very simple. 1128. Come unto me, all ye that labor, all. Put a ring around the word all if you got your Bible. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, all that labor. 
and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come unto me, you that have been chosen from the foundation of the world, and I'll give you rest, all that labor, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord gives us rest in the Holy Ghost, folks. That's where the rest is, is in the Holy Ghost. Boy, I could go off on a Bible study on that. I could talk to you for another hour, but I'm not going there. But the rest is the Holy Ghost. That's why you need the Holy Ghost inside of us. It gives you a peace and a rest like nothing else does. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is the rest where with the weary shall rest. All right, then. That's, uh, that's, that's speaking of Isaiah 2011. I won't get into that one. Now, look at John 3, 3.15. John 3.15. Here's what he says here. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. This is an old familiar scripture to everybody here. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, it's not predestined. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, I just threw that one in for free. Praise the Lord. Now, look at number one here. Look at number one. This is another interesting. Underneath it. Anyone who is saved can also be lost if they are careless in their Christian life. This is for those who said that once saved, always saved. Oh, we, we know that, it, you know, that's like, the, 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 I'm, I'm terming the Baptist, but it doesn't have to be, it can be anybody. I don't, I don't really like to pick on denominations or spell them out or anything because there's a lot of good people in these denominational churches, and I well know that. And I want to see every one of them get the Holy Ghost too and get saved and, be, and come in. But I know that a lot of them, they say, I, I'm told that I'm saved, and I've got to believe I'm saved, but I don't feel saved. And I know I've heard them say that, and I've talked to some of them that have said that. Now, let me go a little bit further here and where we're going with this. Number one, anyone who is saved can also be lost if they're careless in their Christian life. So it's not once saved, always saved. Look at Romans one twenty-one. Romans one twenty-one. Praise God. Now look at these. Follow me closely on this. This is talking about a generation of people in the past, back in the Old Testament, way on back. When they knew God, they didn't serve God. Here's what it says. Because that when they knew God, there's a generation way back there. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise verse 22 professing themselves to be wise they became fools verse 24 wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. This is talking about homosexuality. And if you want to read more of it, I won't get into that. 
But this is what this is talking about. Verse 26. For this cause, God gave him up unto vile affection. I'm jumping down here now to verse 28. And when as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Notice here that these people had a chance to be saved and they chose not to be saved. And I'm jumping over here to chapter uh, 2 down in verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. In other words, you decide if you want to be saved or not. You make that decision. But the Lord is letting you know that he's got, it's an open door. Praise the Lord. He has opened a door unto us. Anybody can be saved. Nobody has to say, well, I, I can't be because I was predestined not to be. No more. That's not it at all. And nobody can say that, you know, that once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Anybody can be lost. There's no predestined. Now, let me move on a little bit further here. Everyone, I mean, number one here, anyone who says he can be saved or careless in Christian life, Romans 4.24, Romans, uh, anyone who is saved can also be lost if they're careless in their Christian life. And uh, when Romans 2, 2.11. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 9.27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Look at this one. You say, Brother Myers, you're loading us up. Yep, these are a lot of scriptures for it. This is what it says. But I keep, this is Paul talking. He's writing to the Corinthian church. One little verse. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. In other words, I... Don't just do anything I want to do. I do the things that I know is right. I let holiness be in my life. I bring it under subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, I don't want that to happen. So Paul is referring to that in the sense that it could happen even to me. I'm going to over here to Ezekiel. Going over here to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 3 and 20. Again, when a righteous man doeth, doth turn from his righteousness, look at that, and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. In other words, the Lord said, if you're righteous and you fail God and you go out in sin and you die in that condition, you die a sinner. You understand what I'm saying? It's not once saved, always saved. And he goes on to say here, he shall die in his sins and his righteousness shall be done, shall not, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require then. Uh, now, I'm just pointing out to you here, scriptures here in these, uh, over here and over, over here as well in Ezekiel. Here's another one in Ezekiel 18.24. Ezekiel 18.24. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, 
Shall he live? Shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. It won't even be accounted for him. In his trespasses that he hath trespassed and in his sin that he hath sinned. In them shall he die. Now I'm just pointing out to you here that you can't say that once I'm saved, I'm always saved. Now, let me go to Revelations 2 and I'm going to wrap it up with this part of as far as this part is concerned. Look at Revelations chapter 2 here. This, we referred to this a little bit last week in our Bible study. This is where the Lord is talking to the Ephesian church, chapter 2 and verse 1. He tells them, he says, you know, you've got some good qualities about you. Look, verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. I talked to you about this a couple of weeks ago. Now, look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And repent and do the first works. Get back to God, in other words. Or else, or else, I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So he's trying to say here, even though you have been saved and living for God, you'll lose it if you don't get right with God, if you've lost out with the Lord. Look at verse 12 in chapter 2. Verse 12. And to the angel of the church of per Pergamos write. Now verse 14. I have a few things against thee because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. I'll talk to you about that sometimes. That's an interesting one. Which thing I hate. Now look what he says in verse 26. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now notice here that they have a completely lost out with God, but they're getting there. And the Lord says, if you don't repent, you are going to lose out with God. So this thing about once saved, always saved, forget it. No, no. Once saved, always saved is not right. I don't care even if you try to soften you say, wait a minute now, you know, you still got those scriptures over that talks about predestination. We'll get back to that in just a moment. One more little uh, illustration here. Chapter 3, verse 1. And under the angel of the church of, in Sardis, right? This is Sardis. Now, this is what God said to them. Verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Meaning, if your name's written down in the book of life, when you get saved, your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And the book of life is from the foundation of the world. Not your name written down in the book from the foundation of the world, but the book is from the foundation of the world. There's another scripture on that. And then he said, and I will not blot out of the book. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father, before his angels, and so forth. Now. I'm just pointing out to you here that the scriptures are so very definite that anybody, anybody that is saved can be lost. That's why folks live for God. Serve the Lord. Don't say, oh, I'm saved. I, no way I can ever be lost. No, 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 no. We can be lost. But we don't have to walk on eggs all the time and think, oh, no, I can't be. Because all you got to do is just be faithful, go to church, do the things you know to do. It's all in the word. That's why the preacher preaches. That's why God's ordained pastors for churches. That's why there's teachers. That's why there's ministers called of God to preach the word and teach the word. 
that we might know what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and how we should live and how we should walk with God. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The love of the Father is not in them. Praise the Lord. Any man love the world, love, love not the Father. The love of the Father is not in him. Praise the Lord. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. These are the world, not of the Father. All right, let me move on here. My time is getting low here, 18. Okay. So, I'm going to go to number two here. Understanding the word predestination. Now, let's go back to those scriptures that we originally talked about. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, let me get there. Hang on a minute. Yeah, there we go. All right, Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to look very closely. I'm going to read these verses again that John Calvin said meant that we are predestined to be saved or lost from the very beginning. Look at verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who worked. In other words, if you're predestined, there's nothing you can do about it. Now, this is not talking about individual predestination. And that's what Calvin said that it meant. I want to show you why it doesn't. Look at the word us in the word verse 3. I'm looking at 1-3 of Ephesus, of, of Ephesians, I'm sorry. Ephesians 1-3. It says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, according as he hath chosen us. Put a ring around the word us because the word us is applying to us as God's people collectively. That is the church. The church is predestined, folks. Not me and you as individuals. I was not predestined from the foundation of the world to be saved. The church was predestined from the foundation of the world to exist. Praise the Lord. And you will find the word us found all through this first chapter here, speaking of the church. Praise the Lord. And a note here that the words us and we, that plural pronoun, of, it goes right on down through all is found nine times in 12 verses. Just 12 verses found nine times. And then a little further over, even it talks about, it talks about in which the earnest of our inheritance, our, speaking of again, the plurality of it. Not me or mine or just you or me, but it's us as a collective, as a church group. Praise God. Now, uh, look at Romans 8.29. This, this is in Ephesians. I'm going to go to Romans because I know my time's getting low here. Hang on. Yeah, here we go. All right. Over here in uh, Romans, where nine, uh, Romans uh, 8.29, where I read, To whom he did pre-know, foreknow, he also did predestinate. Look at verse 28. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them. That's plural. That's the church that love God. And to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow them, he all did privilege. Speaking about the church. And this word, us and, and them, the, the plurality of them being the church and us being the church and us all. Look at verse 32. He has spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And on down, and this word us and all, the plurality of it all, is found here in the scriptures, and I've got it written down here. Note it's found 17 times in this, just this one chapter in here, the plurality of it. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here, that these plurality of these pronouns refer to the fact that the church was predestined from the foundation of the world. The church was determined by God, not you and me, that we were determined to be saved or lost, but the church was predestined to exist. Praise God. Now, let me have you go to another verse of scripture. I'm going to back, go back to one that I had used last week. This is Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 where it was, where Daniel prophesied as God had told him to prophesy Nebuchadnezzar when the church would come into existence. This is Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. That would be Jesus Christ setting up the kingdom of God on this earth. That's why John the Baptist said he came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I've come preaching the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven, same thing. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. That's the church. And it was determined from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world. Not only was Israel determined, but God determined that there would one day be a church. There would be a people called out of every tribe, people, tongue, and nation on the face of the earth to make up his believers. Now, whether I'm in the church or not is up to me. Whether you are in the church or not is up to you. Because God has given us that liberty and that right to make that choice. That's why the Bible says we are saved by grace. That's God's gift to us. And that through faith, we have to believe the word and then act upon it. That's why believing is not just a thing that goes in the head and the mind, but it's a repentance. It is water baptism in Jesus' name. It is being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and having his spirit inside of us. And then walking with God in spirit and in truth and in holiness until Jesus comes. And walking with him is joy and peace and happiness. It's not walking like in a straitjacket like this either. It's walking with the love of God, the joy of the Lord, the presence of God, and not loving the world and hankering for the world and wanting to be back out in the world again. Now, let me go to one other verse here also. Look at Matthew 16, 15. 
This is the Lord talking to Peter. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? This is Jesus talking to his disciples collectively here. He says, Whom do men say that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus saith unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Incidentally, heaven is not just way up there, but heaven is all around us. Heaven is everywhere, because God is everywhere. God is wherever. There's a third heaven. There's a heaven up here in the atmosphere. I won't go any further than that. I know there's a third heaven, praise the Lord. So there must be a first and second, I don't know. But anyhow, God is everywhere. There's no place God is not. So he says here, God which is in heaven. Uh, he said unto him, I know whom thou, uh, let me read 17. And Jesus answered unto him, blessed are thy barn. Look at verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. Now Peter had just said to him, thou art the Christ. Whom do men say that? Thou art the Christ. And he said unto Peter, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now notice here, he says, upon this rock, the word Peter does not mean rock, it means a stone, like a hand stone. Not the rock that you can stand on, like a solid rock. Now, Jesus is speaking about something else, and he's speaking of the relationship between him and Peter. He says, whom do men say that I am? You are Christ. I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock of relationship... Folks, the church and us individuals in the church, we are there by relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why when you receive his spirit, when you're baptized, you're baptized in Christ. And whenever he gives you his spirit, he baptizes his spirit in you. He is in you. You're in him. Praise the Lord. And so there's a relationship we have with Jesus. And the more you pray and the more you do your devotion, read your Bible, go to church, the more that relationship between you and Jesus, just you and him, is very precious and very special. Amen. And the church in general, then, is what we are a part of. Praise God. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the same thing that Daniel said over there to old Nebuchadnezzar when God builds his kingdom. It'll stand forever, and it'll destroy everything, but it will never be destroyed. And I want to just tell you here tonight, praise God, that if you will walk with God and serve the Lord, folks, and serve the Lord and keep the commandments of the Lord, one day we'll walk streets of gold. And this church is never going to fall. There may be troubles, and this world's getting in trouble, incidentally. If you've been watching the news, you know that. It's, it's little by little by little, but the world's getting into a lot of trouble. But if we will walk with God, praise the Lord, and serve the Lord, the church will always stand. It'll stand till Jesus comes, and Jesus will come back for his church. I'm reading here one other verse, and this is 1 John 3, 24. And he that keepeth his commandments, speaking about Jesus, he that keepeth Jesus' commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. I'm in him, him in us. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Praise the Lord. So we know it by the spirit so you can have a no-so salvation. I'm going to close with this.
When I was a young man first saved, the old timers used to say, you got to have a no-so salvation. Not, I think I'm saved, I hope I'm saved, I don't feel saved, but they tell me I'm saved. I did go to the altar, but I'm not sure this or that. And they said, no, 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 K-N-O-W, no-so salvation. So you can have a no-so salvation. In other words, you can know you're saved. You know because you're based on the word of God. You feel his love, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness to us. Aren't you glad you know the truth? Praise God. Let's stand together and give God the praise. Oh, what a wonderful congregation you have been tonight. This is such a, a wonderful thing to do, and that is to look in the word of God and understand how much the Lord loves us and how that one of these days he's coming back for a people that love him. Hallelujah. Jesus, bless everyone in this auditorium tonight. Everyone here, Jesus. Lord, don't let any of us be lost. Don't let any of us lose our way. Don't let any of us, God, be confused or confounded, God, by those that would bend the scriptures this way or that. But let us rightly divide the word as you have instructed us to do. God, we ask you to bless every soul here. Bless us with your presence, your spirit, your wonderful grace, and your goodness. Lord, meet back with us again at the appointed time. Thank you for all the classes that have been going on at this time as well. We praise you for all things in Jesus' name we say. We pray. Amen. And everybody said, praise the Lord. Everybody, say it again. Praise the Lord. That sounds great. God bless you.